Genesis chapter 43, I'll begin reading at verse number one. If you didn't bring a copy of the Bible, there should be one of the rack in front of you. Just get it out, open it to the very first book, Genesis, the 43rd chapter, and find the first verse. We'll read the first five verses to get started today. Genesis chapter 43, begin reading at verse number one. The Bible says, And the famine was sore in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, Go again, buy us little food. And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go. For the man said unto us, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that you would just speak through me, use me. Lord, bless your word as it goes forth. Get much glory to yourself in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. There was once a young lady who absolutely detested housework. Uh, She saw no need for it. And she got engaged to a young man. And the young man took her to see a house that he planned to buy. And uh, as they're there, here's what she had to say. A home? Why do I need a home? I was born in the hospital, educated in the college, courted an automobile, and I expect to be married in a church. We can live out of delicatessen and paper bags. I spend my mornings on the golf course, my afternoon at the clubs, and then my evenings at the movies. When I die, I'm going to be buried at the undertaker's. All I really need is a garage. And you know... I thought about that and I thought about that couple and if they did get married and did buy that house, what kind of home life must they have had? You can learn a lot from people and a lot about people by viewing them in their home. Uh, That's why shows today like uh, John and Kate plus eight and uh, 18 kids and counting and uh, little people, big world. These shows are very popular Uh, You go behind the walls, behind the curtains, and you see these people in their home environment. You see what they're really like. And today in our time together, we're going to visit three homes. We're going to go and spend some time at these homes and observe what's going on and learn what we can. And we're entering this morning to a very interesting passage of Scripture. Any of you who are reared in church probably remember these stories, these accounts from Joseph's life. I remember how these stories fascinated me even as a young man. Uh, growing up in church as a young boy in Sunday school. In these next few chapters, there's uh, excitement, uh, there's adventure, there's suspense as you see what's going on between Joseph and his brothers. Well, let's begin this morning. And our first stop is Jacob's home. And we find Jacob's home here in the first 15 verses, beginning at verses uh, number one, going through verse uh, 15. We find, first of all, at Jacob's home, there's famine. It says in verse number one, and the famine was sore in the land. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, go again, buy us a little food. If you remember, there's this famine going on. There were seven years of great plenty, uh, seven years of just wonderful bounty. And there was going to be seven years of famine. And this famine had touched not only Egypt, but uh, but much of the world there. And it touched there in, in the land of Canaan. And Jacob says to his son here, he looks around, he notices that the cupboards are pretty bare. Food's running low. He says, go again and buy us a little food. Go over to Egypt and get us some food. And it seems like a wise request. It seems like a reasonable request. 
Uh, it's what you would do if, if things are low at your house. You go to the grocery store and get some more food. But we find that, that not only is there famine in Jacob's house, there's also frustration. We find that beginning in verse 3. And Judah, one of his sons, spake unto him, saying, The man... Now, who's he talking about there? Joseph, the man, Joseph, the leader in Egypt. They don't know it's Joseph, but the man did solemnly protest uh, unto us, saying, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. Remember, they were to bring their younger brother, Benjamin. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. They're frustrated. The brothers here, I believe, because they'd already told their father in the end of the last chapter what had happened, what had taken place. That, that this man in Egypt, this leader said, you have to bring Benjamin back with you. Simeon is in bondage in Egypt waiting for them to return. And, and it seems like to me that Jacob is so against that, so against sending Benjamin, that he just kind of puts it out of his mind. He just kind of puts it off. And eventually says, hey, go get us some food. And Judah says, Judah says Dad... If you're not going to send Benjamin, we're not going to go. If you'll send him, we'll go. There's frustration. I think Jacob also had frustration. Look at verse 6. And Israel said, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me as to tell the man whether ye had yet a brother? Why did you guys do this to me? How could you be so mean to me? Well, they give an honest answer beginning in verse 7. And they said, The man asketh straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words, could we certainly know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said unto Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and thou and also our little ones. I will be surety for him of my hand. shalt thou require him if I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, surely now we had returned this second time. We would have already been there and back. Jacob was frustrated and Judah says to him, look, dad, I will be surety. I'll take the blame. If anything happens to Benjamin, you can blame me in Jacob's house. There is famine. There is frustration. But I notice something else here. There is fear. Fear that's mingled with a little faith, because in verse 11, it says, and their father Israel said unto them, if it must be so now do this. Do this. If it must be so now. In other words, Jacob is up against the wall. He realizes he has no other choice. If it must be so now, do this. Notice what he says. Take of the best fruits in the land and your vessels and carry down the, the man of present, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds, and take double money in your hand and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks. Carry it again in your hand. Her adventure it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again unto the man, and God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. I want you to notice something here. Jacob says, Israel said, if it must be so, he's pushed against the wall. And Jacob has been fighting against God's plan. God had Jacob's good in mind. He was seeking to bring him and his family into Egypt to be reunited with Joseph. He was bringing his people into Egypt to grow them into a mighty nation. But all Jacob could do was sulk and feel sorry for himself. Instead of being filled with faith, he's filled with frustration. 
He's filled with pessimism. He's filled with fear. His motto in life is what? All these things are against me. That's what he said in the last chapter, verse 36. All these things are against me. How could you do these things to me? How could you tell me another brother? All these things are against me. When in reality, beloved, all these things were for him. But you know what? I'm hesitant. I'm hesitant to criticize Jacob here. You know why? Because I've often stood where he stood. And I've sometimes taken his motto as my own. And probably so have you. Why is it that we as believers, we who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, why is it that we cannot trust our Heavenly Father? Why will we ever think that he would desire harm in our families? Why is it that we can say, oh, I trust him with my death. I trust him with eternity. I trust him with heaven. And yet we cannot trust him with today and tomorrow and next week. You ever thought about that? Oh, it's easy, isn't it? Oh, oh, heaven. And that's a glorious thing. That's way down the road. What about today? Can we trust him today? Do we trust him today? Jacob here, Israel, is forced to choose between starving to death himself and his family as well. Or sending Benjamin with his brothers to Egypt. And he finally capitulates and lets Benjamin go. But he gives them specific instructions. First of all, he sends a gift. Verse 11. Take of the best fruits in the land of your vessels. Carry the man a present, a little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh and nuts and almonds. Prepare a nice little gift to give to this man. And uh, we have to wonder, you know, we've seen this in in Jacob's life before. If you remember back in Genesis 32, if you go back and read the story, he's going to be coming up and meeting his brother Esau. And uh, he prepares by doing the, uh, and doing that by sending ahead gifts. He sends gifts ahead of himself, hoping to appease his brother Esau. And now we look again today and he's sending a gift to this man in, in, in Egypt. And we wonder, is this the old Jacob here or is this Israel? Well, you know, many are quick to accuse him of trying to manipulate the situation. Many folks I read seem to like, jump right on him here, saying, oh, he's returning to his own ways. He's trying to get his own way. He's trying to be conniving and manipulative. But, you know, I'm not sure. Let's think about that for a moment. I don't think this was a bad idea, sending this man a gift. In fact, Proverbs 19.6 says this, Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. Maybe not a bad idea. But he sends a gift. He sends double money. Verse 12. Take double money in your hand and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks. Carry it again. Perhaps they overlooked it. You know, they came back and they had all this grain, this corn. And they realized our money's back in our bags. He says, take that money and take more money. And he sends the gift. He sends double money. He sends Benjamin. Verse 13. Take also your brother and arise and go again unto the man. And then he sends them off with a blessing in verse 14. He says these words, And God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother, Simeon, and Benjamin. I said before, I think we have a little bit of fear mingled with faith here, beloved. At least he's acknowledging God here. At least he's showing just a little bit of faith here. If only it stopped his words in that verse where I stopped reading. Because he ends that verse by saying what? If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Fear mingles with a little faith. Jacob's home. 
Jacob's house. We're going to move on to our second second stop this morning. But before we do, it reminds of something. If you've been with us throughout all these weeks, you know that Joseph has faced many tests. And it's time now for him to test his brothers. We're going to move now and look at our second stop, Joseph's home. Verse 15, and the men took the present and took double money in their hand and Benjamin and rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, you ever think what ran through his mind? This is his true, full blooded brother, Benjamin. He hadn't seen him for years. There he's standing. He says he saw Benjamin with him. Verse 16, he said to the ruler of his house, bring these men home. And slay and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph bade, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Let me say something here. Things looked a little bit different in Joseph's house than it did in Jacob's house. I imagine when these brothers walked into Joseph's house, they were overwhelmed with the beauty. They were overwhelmed with the wealth. They were overwhelmed with the riches. Here's the prime minister. Here's the second in command. Here's one of the most powerful men in all the world. And the moment they walk into Joseph's house, we notice that house fills with fear because it says in verse 18. And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, because of the money that was returned into our sacks at the first time we're brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for bondmen in our asses. And they came near to the steward of Joseph's house and they communed with him. At the door of the house. It states very plainly in verse 18. They were afraid. Humphreys wrote. For the guilty. Even hospitality is ominous. You see. They were loaded down. With that burden of guilt. Of what they'd done to Joseph. So many years ago. And they stood there. They were sure they were goners. That money in their sacks. Was going to be their necks. It's going to be their undoing. They're going to take them, make them bondmen, take their their donkeys from them. They were upset. They were afraid. And so they approached the one over Joseph's house to kind of save their necks here. Verse 20, they said unto the steward, oh, sir, we came indeed down at the first to buy food. And it came to pass when we came to the end that we opened our sacks about every man's money was in the mouth of his sack and our money in full weight. And we have brought it again in our hand and other money have we brought down into our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put our money in the sacks. They say, hey, uh, uh, listen, um, we got to the end and, and, and uh, our money was there, but, but we, we, we brought it back and we brought more money. They're scared to death. Fear, they're afraid. And I love what the steward said to him. Look at the next verse. Verse 23. And he said, peace be to you. Peace be to you. They're afraid. They're filled with fear. He says, peace be to you. And then notice what else he says. Fear not. Your God. Your God. And the God of your father. Have given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. I love that. Even Joseph's steward, his own servant, his speech is filled with God. 
One has to wonder when you read this, if perhaps Joseph had not even led his steward to faith in Jehovah. He seeks to reassure them. He seeks to encourage them. He points them to their God. Notice what he says at the, what, what it says at the end of that verse. And he brought Simeon out unto them. Now put yourself in their sandals for a moment. You were scared to death. It's been a long trip into Egypt. Man, you're just shaking in your sandals. You get brought into Joseph's house. You're sure that you're a goner. You're sure that you're going to be a slave. They're going to take all your possessions. It's just bad all the way around. You go and try to get get out of this. And you're told this peace be unto you. God has given you blessing. God is the God of your father is the one that's given your treasure back and your money. And then next thing you know, Simeon's brought up. Simeon's still alive. Simeon's still well. Hey, things aren't so bad. But we keep reading. We keep reading. We move now from a home that's filled with fear to a home that's filled with favor. Look at verse 24. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water. And they washed their feet. Man, what treatment. He gave their asses provender, fed their animals. And they made ready the present against Joseph came at noon, for they heard that he should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought him the present, which was in their hand in the house. And watch this next part. And bowed themselves to him to the earth. Dreams do come true. They bowed before Joseph. And I want you to notice that Joseph is not concerned about their bowing. He's not concerned about their gift. Verse 27 says he asked them of their welfare. How are you guys doing? He also asked about the welfare of his father. Is your father well, the old man of whom you spake? Is he yet alive? Now think about that. That's his own father, his beloved father. And he asked them. He says, is he still living? Don't you know he was just hanging on with hope that he was? Verse 28, they answered, thy servant, our father, is in good health. He is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And lifted up his eyes and saw his brother, Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me? Remember, these other guys were his half-brothers. Same father, different mothers, but Benjamin was his full-blooded brother. Same father and mother. Is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. God be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph, by the way, if you ever doubt he's human, watch this next verse. And Joseph made haste or hurried up, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought work to weep. And he entered into his chamber and wept there. He just could not contain the emotions any longer. We move from fear to favor. Thirdly, feasting in Joseph's house. Verse 31. And he washed his face. You know, they still don't know this is Joseph. He's not ready to reveal that to him yet. He kind of cleans up a little bit. He washed his face, went out, refrained himself and said, set on bread. And I want you to notice here what it's going to do. He's going to begin testing his brothers. Let's look at what it says in verse 32. And they set on for him by himself. So Joseph has a table all his own. And for them by themselves, the Joseph brothers, they have their own table. And for the Egyptians, we have three tables there which did eat with him by themselves. Why? Because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. So they have these tables here, three of them. And they set before him the firstborn according to his birthright. 
and the youngest according to his youth. And the men marvel one another. Can you imagine now, what are the odds? He had all these brothers and they notice, hey, we're seated in order of our birth and our... This is amazing. And uh, verse 34 says, and he took and sent messes unto them. You ever have any mess to eat? Y'all wait? Yeah? Just make it sure. Y'all want to eat some mess in a little bit, don't you? And he took and sent messes unto them from before him. Maybe you've eaten some food that is a mess, but anyway. But Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. Notice what's happening here. Joseph was testing his brothers concerning jealousy. Now, I want you to think with me about the history of Joseph's brothers. And think about how they treated Joseph so long ago. They couldn't stand the fact that Joseph was Jacob's favorite. They couldn't stand the way he was treated. They couldn't stand his coat of many colors. They couldn't stand the preferential treatment he received. And in fact, they hated him and they sold him. They were going to kill him. And the question is, in Joseph's minds, have they changed? How do they treat Benjamin? Have they transferred their hatred from me to my brother, Benjamin? And it seems, as we read this, that they had changed. We don't notice anything here about them mistreating Benjamin. It says that they were married with Joseph. Apparently, they passed this test, but the exams were not over. They had another test coming in the next chapter, and we'll look at that next week, God willing. But we stopped at Jacob's house, and we stopped at Joseph's house. We've got one more stop to make. And our final stop this morning is your home. Your home. You heard correctly. Now, before you panic, we're not worried and looking for dust or dirty dishes. Have no fear on that. What we're looking for this morning is what characterizes your home. Is your home filled with fear or faith? Is your home filled with famine or favor? Is your home filled with feasting or famine or favor or frustration? Is your home life honoring to God? Is there contentment or contempt? Is there joy or jealousy? Is there a focus on God or merely a focus on God's good gifts? I find in Joseph's home, even the steward talked about God. Does your family ever talk about God? Does your family life reflect that Jesus is Lord Of your life. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, a Bible scholar from years gone by, tells the following story. He said, one day my father came to our house after we were married and looked around and we showed him every room. And he said his father said in his usual rough way, yes, it is very nice, but nobody will know walking through these rooms whether you belong to God or the devil. (laughs) That's what he had to say about their house. And Morgan says, I went through the house and I looked at the rooms and I found that he was quite right. And he said that he decided that no room in his house, no room in his house would be without some message to tell all that came that he served God. You know what? As wonderful it is to hang scripture verses on your walls, that is a good thing. I'm not against that. It's far better to hide them in your heart and live them out in your home. It's far better to hide them in your heart and live them out in your home. I was struck by something I read from Howard Hendricks this past week. Listen, he said, if your Christianity doesn't work at home, don't export it. Did you hear me? If your Christianity doesn't work at home, don't export it. I ask again this morning, is your home a Christian home? 
How I wished I'd read this morning in Genesis chapter 43, Jacob saying to his children, listen, boys, God is in control. God is going to take care of this. God is going to take care of us. We need not fear, but simply trust and wait on him. I'm praying for you as you go. I'm praying for you as you're gone. I'm praying for you. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Instead of saying, well, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. All these things are against me. May God have mercy upon you. Mom and dad. What do you tell your children when the times are rough, when the storms are raging? Do you throw up your hands in despair or do you fold your hands in prayer? Do you turn their attention to God or do you, do you point them to the Lord? Do you bring God into focus? Do you ever talk about the Lord and his blessings outside of asking the blessing over your meals? You are praying over your meals, aren't you? But beyond that, do you ever talk to them about how important church is? Why do you get up on a mucky, rainy Sunday morning and tread out in dress clothes to go to a place? Why is that? Do you tell them why you as a family go to church? Or are you so busy criticizing the church and all the people in the church? You're sending a message. You're sowing seeds in their lives and you will reap what you sow. It's so important that we have Christian homes. We saw that Joseph was testing his brothers concerning their jealousy. Do you teach a model contentment or do you teach a model jealousy in your home? Where is the focus? Is your home a Christian home, a true Christian home where Christ is Lord, where Christ is magnified and exalted, where our focus is not upon ourselves and not upon our selfish desires, but our focus is upon God and his glory and his desires. Your home. A young serviceman and his family were staying in a hotel near a military base where he was temporarily assigned. And that's a challenging thing, no doubt. But one day, his little girl was playing house in the lobby when a lady was there and she was seeing this little girl. And she asked her this question. She said, isn't it too bad that you don't have a home? And that little girl looked up to her and said this. Oh, we do. We just don't have a house to put it in. And beloved, she's right. It's not the structure that matters. It's not, a, not really matter. We have one bedroom or 18. It's the people that make the house home. I ask again this morning, is your home a Christian home? And of course, that begins right at the very basic point. Of realizing that to have a Christian home, the people who inhabit that home must be Christians. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you realize, remember a time in your life where you realized that you were a sinner, you were undone. And you heard the glorious gospel that Jesus took your place, died in your place. Shed his precious blood on that cross, was buried but rose again victorious, and will give you eternal life, new life, as you place your faith and trust in him. Do you know Jesus is Lord and Savior? And if you do, are you living that out in your home? How about it, Dad? Are you the true spiritual leader in your home? How about it, Mom? Are you pointing your children to Christ? How about it, boys and girls and teenagers? Is your home life a life that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the question today. Let's pray. Father, it is with grateful hearts that we bow now.
We ask your blessing upon this truth that has gone forth. We ask your help and blessing in this invitation. And I pray today that if anyone here does not know Christ as Lord and Savior, that today they'll come and trust you before it's eternally too late. I pray that you'll work in the lives of those who already know you. They'll be honest and allow the Holy Spirit to search their hearts. If some matters are not right in their home, they'll come today confessing and getting right. And they'll seek to live a home and have a home and live a home life that magnifies Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.